You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. All right, and here we go. Welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler, joined to my left, as always, by Ryan Shumpert. Today is Wednesday, September 21. It is the middle of week four of the college football season, and we have a major top 25 clash between Tennessee and Florida coming up this weekend. The energy is high, and the excitement is as well. Ryan, good afternoon, my friend. How are you? What's going doing on? Doing well. Yeah, I mean, how can you not be doing well? This is one of the, the most fun weeks of the year. The buzz yeah. is palpable uh, around Knoxville, and it, it should be an exciting game and a great opportunity for Tennessee. And, and certainly, uh, kind of like I wrote about earlier this week, after kind of where Tennessee was 20 months ago, to have the, the eyes of the college football world on them this weekend is pretty cool. and makes for a, a great environment. For the fans, it makes for a, yeah. a lot of fun to, stuff to write about for us, and it makes for a fantastic opportunity for the Tennessee football program on Saturday. Yeah, the next couple of days coming up and just really leading through game day, it's going to be chaotic around here in Knoxville. I know there's so many things going on. Really even, I mean, Ryan, going back to last weekend's game versus Akron, a sellout in Neyland Stadium. It, it was parents' weekend, and there were some things that were helping it out, but nonetheless, you're putting 102,000 people inside of that stadium for the game against Akron really even last week was almost a dress rehearsal, if you will, for this week coming up against Florida. Even last week, just walking around the stadium for a, for a, uh, an opponent that really never even stood a chance against Tennessee, you still saw so much excitement and buzz and energy in the air. And, and really the whole time I was just walking around campus thinking, man, if this is what right now is like, holy smokes, next week is going to be wild. Josh Heupel even said that after the game against Akron. He said, Man, this has been probably the craziest experience I've ever seen here at Tennessee. People on Twitter were quick to point out to him, hey, if you think uh, tonight was crazy, uh, just wait about seven days. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you're right. It was, you know, even when they announced the sellout on, I guess, Friday was when they announced the sellout for the Akron game. I think they announced the sellout for both games on the same day. But when I saw the Akron game was sold out, I thought, you know, that's cool. That's good. They're all... It'll look like there's about 90,000 yeah. people in stands. Which still, like 90,000 people for Akron, like, good crowd. It's yeah. been better than the crowds the last four years for those types of games. Um, but no, I mean, it probably wasn't 101. I don't know what the number 915. is now. 915, yeah. I still have 102455 in my head. I, I got to get that uh, one. Think Nashville. Yeah. Area code. There you go. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't probably quite that much, but it was, you know, 98, 99. There wasn't a whole lot of empty seats in that stadium, and to your point, yeah, I think Parent Weekend played a big role in that. You kind of look at where the parents typically sit in Parent Weekend, <laughs> that kind of southeast uh, end zone of the stadium where uh, it's typically a lot of away fans. Obviously, Akron didn't bring any, and that place was packed. And Yeah. Uh, you're right, that helps, but, man, it's most Parent Weekends aren't anything like that. So uh, it kind of shows how much excitement there is around this team, and I thought it was kind of a – you talked about it as being a tune-up for Florida, which I think it was in a lot of ways. I thought it was kind of a cool thank you or homage to kind of a, the team coming back home from a big win after Pittsburgh. That yeah. kind of the show, the fan base showing their excitement from that win. You know, not only is the rivalry game going to play a huge part into this weekend, not only is just Tennessee trying to overcome the mountain of beating Florida, only one win in the last 17 years, as if those things weren't enough to 
really compel this game day atmosphere to really get the people pumped up. Not only that, but there are going to be multiple uh, outlets in town as well for for just game day stuff going on. Obviously, ESPN's College Game Day is the big one that will be here on Saturday morning. I believe that starts, I mean, crack of dawn at 6.30 in the morning or so. But then you also have, uh, I believe, the Barstool College college football sports show. Uh, the name of that one is going to be here. I believe Josh Pate with CBS is going to be here. I mean, there's a lot of people, Ryan, just like you said and just like you wrote about, uh, there's a lot of people and really the whole college football world is going to have their eyes on Knoxville this weekend. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's the marquee game in college football this weekend. There's a couple other good games, too, but I don't, I don't think any of them kind of has the buzz uh, around that this game does. And it's kind of funny that that's the case because you know, Tennessee's 11 point fa- 10, 11 point favorites. Yeah. I don't know where it, it's at as we record here. But, you know, there are a handful of games that are big games this week, but they're like that. They're 10 point favorites, or, you know, even Clemson Wake Forest, I think the line's only about six in that game uh, with Clemson favored. So there are games that are expected to be closer than this Tennessee Florida game, but this is the game that kind of seems to have drawn everyone's attention. And I think. You know, it's because Florida's still a, a big brand, a top 20 team. Uh, Tennessee, obviously, a lot better with what they have been building with Josh Heupel. And then I think there's also, you know, I think even, at least maybe not nationally, but regionally, you know, people are aware of how, how this rivalry's been the last 15 years. Even with a 10-point, uh, Tennessee being favored by 10 points, uh, I feel like probably a lot of people don't feel like this is some sort of layover game. And it's yeah. not some sort of layover game. So it should be exciting and certainly just a, a fantastic opportunity for for Josh Heupel to get a huge rivalry win and probably the best one he's going to have because Georgia and Alabama are obviously really, really good. And then next year you'll be breaking in a new quarterback going to Florida to face a, a Billy Napier team that, or a Florida team that's in Billy Napier's second season and has a, a little bit more consistency to it. I mean, you just go back and look at where Tennessee's program was at this time last year going into the Florida game as it is this year. So that shows you how much uh, things can change in a year. I think it's a, really an opportunity Tennessee needs to capitalize uh, to get a big rivalry win over a team it struggled against. That is coming up this weekend. Let's give you a little bit of a tale of the tape for the game. Number 20 Florida at number 11 Tennessee coming up this uh, Saturday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. The game will be over on CBS. Florida's offense is averaging just over 25 points a game. Meanwhile, Tennessee's offense through three games averaging 52. Now, you do have uh, games against Ball State and Akron thrown in there as well, but certainly a, a high number that's been expected from Tennessee's offense. On the defensive side of things, Florida allowing just about 26.7 points per game. Meanwhile, Tennessee's defense just ab- uh, allowing just above two touchdowns at 14.3. So, Certainly an interesting thing there, but I think really when you look at this game from Tennessee's perspective, one of the things that, man, people have had their, we talk about the college football world having their eyes on Knoxville. Well, we know where Knoxville's eyes have been, and really the eyes of Tennessee's fan base have been. That's what Tennessee's two biggest injuries coming out of the Ball State game, Jabari Small and Cedric Tillman. Now, we did get to uh, talk to Josh Heupel a little bit on Monday, but then really talking to Jer- uh, Jerry Mack on Tuesday. He was the one who, who said, coming out of that Tuesday practice, hey, there was fault. Full participation in the running back room at practice on Tuesday. Looks like things are good to go. So Jabari Small, at least, seems to be cleared, seems to be good. And really, I think that was probably the expectation coming out of that Ball State game. I I didn't think that people were too necessarily overly concerned about that. We did see, you know, obviously he went out very early in the game. What was that, second play? Second play for Truman, yeah. Second play, spent a little bit of time in the tent, and then kind of came back out and was riding the stationary bike a little bit. Obviously never went back into the game, but seemed like he could have if they needed to. The other injury that people are super concerned about right now, Cedric Tillman, obviously Tennessee's first-team All-SEC preseason wide receiver. Really the 
the most talented receiver on Tennessee's team, even though there there are a, a budding couple that have certainly started to emerge this year. But where are you with uh, with Cedric Tillman's injury? There has not been a lot of information that have been coming out coming out this week from the Tennessee side of things. But where are you on that? Just kind of if he is able to play, if he's not able to play, what's your thought process? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a huge question mark at, at this point, and you know, it's it's Wednesday on an injury that's questionable. So obviously there's still a lot of time of variation. I don't think Tennessee knows if he's going to be able to play. I, yeah, I go back to just what we said after the game and that the Jabari Small, it seemed like, you know, that one didn't seem to be a huge cause for concern. Cedric Tillman, while we know it hasn't been worst case scenario, you know, if he had some sort of season ending surgery, we would have heard about that on Monday. Uh, so, you know, they avoided the worst case, but it, it still seems like it might be a hard challenge for him to be able to play this week. And I think there's Certainly different scales of, you know, he could not play at all. I could see him being dressed out and going through warm-ups and not playing. You know, maybe to me what might be the most realistic uh, or to me the most likely thing, again, as of Wednesday afternoon as we record this, is that Cedric Tillman goes out there, he plays a little bit, he's a decoy, he's someone Florida's defense has to focus on, but he's not out there for the 95% of offensive snaps that he usually is. He's not playing a ton. He's not having a ton of balls thrown his way. Uh, and then maybe he's able to suit it up and, and go and give it give it his all. I don't think he would be at 100% if that happens, but maybe it doesn't affect him the way it does. So I think there's still a lot of discrepancy on what could happen with Cedric Tillman as we sit here on Wednesday, but I think that's one that is certainly – a lot bigger concern than small, which we kind of know already because we think small is fine, but uh, it just is one that may be a little harder to see a path towards him being super effective on, on Saturday. Yeah, there's certainly concern around, around Cedric Tillman, and, and that is understandable. But I do think there is a, at least a little bit of relief in the sense of just what Tennessee's other two starting receivers have been able to do through the first three weeks of the year. You've seen Brew McCoy, when he got his eligibility approval, really just couple days before the start of the season, you have seen him be able to come in and, and to me, provide an impact for this team, whether it has been uh, in the deep passing game, whether it's been in in just decoy situations, whether it's been in the run blocking game a little bit. I think you have seen him come in and be an impact. And then Jalen Hyatt, you know, I I wrote about this after, after the Akron game, but Man, he looks like a different player than he ever has in a Tennessee uniform. He he looks very locked in. He looks very energetic, and, and he looks very athletic with the ball. I think you've seen him uh, again, not to use the same word, but be able to make an impact just in ways that weren't always necessarily there in the past. He has been able to be effective in the short game, in the medium game, in the underneath game, in the deep game a little bit that we saw against Ball State. Uh, excuse me, Akron w- with a couple of deep, uh, deep touchdowns there in the first half. So with Tillman, obviously, if he's not able to, if he's not able to compete for Tennessee at his fullest strength, that's obviously going to be a hindrance. There, there's no doubt about that. But I do think that there's at least a little bit of relief just because, that, I don't know about you, but for me, I have more confidence in Jalen Hyatt and Brew McCoy after watching them for three weeks than I maybe did even going into the season. Yeah, I think Jalen Hyatt has been about, he's been what the coaches said, you know, he, sure. which in my sense is kind of what you expected. There was so much buzz around them in the preseason. So, you know, that's, that's, high, that's a big step that he's made forward, so I don't want to downplay it, but it's been what I expected. You know, when, to me, when you look at Brew McCoy, I think extremely talented. I think brings that physicality that Tillman does as well. When we, it's just what we talked about last week on the podcast. You could just tell from a guy that didn't get here, you know, hadn't been here for the last year and dealt with a hip injury when he got to Tennessee. There just wasn't the continuity and the chemistry yet between him and Hooker 
and Brew McCoy. It needs to be there on Saturday. Sure. Like, it, Brew McCoy is going to get a lot of targets if Cedric Tillman doesn't go. But, you know, I think he's up for the moment. I think he's he's certainly capable, and I think Jalen Hyatt is too. Uh, I, You know, I, I think Tennessee feels good about those guys. I think they should. I just don't want to downplay what a loss Cedric Tillman is because if he doesn't play, that's just that's a huge loss for Tennessee, and that's, to me, the best receiver in the SEC. That's the security blanket on his Tennessee offense. When you get in the third and long and Tennessee has to throw in the intermediate, which is something their offense doesn't do a ton, that's the guy that Hinton Hooker wants to go to is Cedric Tillman. That's the guy he has the continuity with, he has his confidence with. So I don't want to downplay that, but no, you are right. I mean, it's you have very capable players in Jalen Hyde and Brew McCoy, and I think almost what's more curious if Tillman doesn't go is who plays in his spot. Yeah, because, how does things get rotated around? Yeah, exactly, and you know, we – Talked in the preseason about there were seven, eight receivers Tennessee wanted to play. And, you know, I talked about how I, you know, I don't really buy all that much. Uh-huh. And at this spot, though, you know, he's not going to play. There's going, there's those opportunities. Those there are four more guys past the starters who are capable of playing. But where's the separation with those guys? Does Ramel Keaton earn those reps? Does Walker Merrill earn those reps? Does Jimmy Holiday earn those reps? Because to me, what we've seen from those guys on the field this year, and from what we've seen from those guys on the field in the past, is a lot of simil- similarities uh, of guys that just haven't done a ton. It doesn't mean they're capable. Walker Merrill's just a sophomore receiver. And, you know, certainly he's whatever that would be, 16 games into his college career. So uh, it doesn't mean he can't step up with an opportunity. But there just hasn't seemed to be a ton of separation that we've seen from those guys. So how does Tennessee? attack who gets those reps uh, if Tillman doesn't play and I think it's kind of certainly an interesting part where you're in a week you're in a game week and I think there's oh probably a lot of competition going on at practice to figure that out which you know they talk about it all the time there's competition all the time in practice but once you get into season you have a less position battle competition and I think you basically have that this week when you look uh, you know, Cedric Tillman isn't practicing fully every day, which you wouldn't expect if, as he's trying to work back from the injury just to play mm-hmm. on Saturday. But that's uh, something that I'm going to be really curious to watch if Tillman can't go. Then you even throw in the fact that Jimmy Callaway will be suspended for yeah. the first half uh, again. So that that does kind of take away from the depth a, a little bit there at the beginning of the game. And I think you're exactly right. There's there's you can you can acknowledge right that that Brew McCoy is starting to really emerge for for Tennessee that Jalen Hyatt has certainly been improved from where he's been at the past but there's no doubt that that Cedric Tillman is the difference maker of the Tennessee offense and he is the target for Hendon Hooker you look back to the Pittsburgh game there were I believe he had 18 targets on that game there were so many times where each each opportunity or each instance that Hendon Hooker would get in trouble you knew where he was going with the ball you can see where he has that trust with so that's absolutely a, a big thing to watch, and, and certainly anybody focused on this game is going to have their eyes on Cedric Tillman, number four, coming up this uh, Saturday afternoon. But another player that will be on the field that a lot of conversation has been around, especially in these first three weeks of the season for Florida, is quarterback Anthony Richardson. I, I know, Ryan, you talked to uh, David Waters earlier this week, and we actually have a really good breakdown up on RockyTopInsider.com when he kind of he kind of broke down a little bit of the Florida offense, defense, pretty much everything between, but he, he he made some really interesting points just kind of about how, you know, Anthony Richardson and really the whole Florida team, they started the season with that almost mysterious game against Utah where Utah had to go all the way to the other side of the country. They, they had to go into the hot, humid swamp uh, and, and play that game, and they lost. And then Florida comes back out. They lose to Kentucky by a score of 26-16 and then come back out and barely escape a victory over uh, South Florida 31-28. But Anthony Richardson has not been good in those second two games, and I think that has certainly been the talking point in the college football world. 
Yeah, it has. Uh, I mean, after, you know, he was fantastic in that first game. He just hasn't been very good the last two weeks. And, you know, I think Kentucky, with the way they were able to spy him with their linebackers, you know, took away what he was able to do in the run game. And that's what makes him so dangerous is what he can do in the yeah. run game. And I think there was a lot of question marks about how effective he could be passing the ball. And I think he's been a lot worse passing the ball uh, than – you know, most people expected, even though that was a question mark coming in. But you're right. I mean, in the, the fact that you know Kentucky's got really good linebackers, and can, Mark Stoops is a defensive-minded coach, and can, that Kentucky defense is good. You know, they're not Alabama or Georgia or anything, but they're good every year, and, and they're disciplined every year. And they, like I said, they have good linebackers. So for Kentucky to really limit and come out with a new game plan and throw something at Anthony Richardson to stop them, while I mean, I think that certainly shows weakness in Florida's offense. I don't think it was shocking. Now, South Florida just repeated what Kentucky did. <laughs> yeah. And South Florida is is not what all those things I just said about Kentucky. Uh, they are not a proven team. They are not traditionally a very good defense. They're a program that struggled really badly uh, the last five to ten years. And I think that shows that that blueprint was more than just something that they surprised, that Kentucky just surprised Florida with. You know, Florida had a week to know that that's probably how South Florida was going to come at them and defend them, and they didn't have a lot of answers. So uh, I think that's – Certainly so is Richardson's weaknesses. We've, you know, obviously Tennessee struggled a lot defending running quarterbacks last year. They really haven't gotten attested that this year. I think that's a massive question mark at the game. And one thing I do wonder, we saw against Pittsburgh, Tennessee ran so many zone blitzes, and they wanted to bring guys, and they, it wasn't man blitzes. They wanted to drop, drop zones back. That seems like exactly the type of stuff that could confuse Anthony Richardson. And that's what David Waters of Gators Breakdown told me yesterday is that it, a lot of zone coverage, not a lot of man. Make him read the defense. Make him take what's there. And I think that combination of – because Tennessee was able to get home with those blitzes against Pitt. Now, it wasn't always first sack, and Keaton Slovis did a really good job in that first half of reading the zone defense and getting that ball out for, you know, 10-yard completions. But Anthony Richardson – you know, Keaton Slovis played a lot more football than Anthony Richardson, and that's what Keaton Slovis is uh, supposed to be good at, where Richardson has his, his struggles. So I'm curious – to see if Tennessee runs a lot of that and how effective that can be. Obviously, the one caveat, if you do that, uh, it can be a little bit harder to contain the quarterback. Can Tennessee kind of bring some of those exotic blitzes and still keep Richardson in the pocket if they don't get home, I think is a huge question. Yeah, you know, the quarterback containment, I think, is certainly going to be a a necessary part of this game for Tennessee's defense. You look back at, at what Florida was able to do to really kind of mess with Anthony Richardson, and one thing that you could tell that Richardson wanted to do was he wanted to roll out to the right. I, I think that provides him with a lot of space, obviously a right-handed quarterback. That's where he, he, he felt very dangerous in that first week, having both the option to run it with his legs or throw it be the pass. Kentucky came in and they said, hey, if you want to roll to the right, you can but we're going to have somebody there immediately. We are going to take that away. We're going to make you throw it from the pocket, and we're going to see how good of a thrower, uh, how good of a passer you really are. That stopped Anthony Richardson. I, I would like to see how Tennessee is going to come out and really be able to contain that pocket. Are they going to be able to shut off that right side when Anthony Richardson wants to roll, get a little bit more space, and be able to potentially even use his legs a little bit more? I think that's certainly an interesting part to watch uh, with this Florida offense. Now, jumping over to Florida's defense, Seems like the secondary, uh, led by Jason Marshall, is probably the strength of that team. Yeah, that's what it looks like. One more thing I'll add on the offense okay, real quick. Yeah. Uh, just a running game. It, the running backs have ran the ball pretty well this year. It's been uh, Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, who's a younger brother of Travis Etienne with the Jaguars now, and, and obviously was at Clemson uh, with those 
real good Trevor Lawrence teams. Uh, both those guys have been good. ETN especially, uh, to me, really, really has stood out. Um, you know, just three games, freshman, 22 carries, 166 yards. That doesn't maybe not just jump out at you. But the fact that the guy's averaging 7.5 yards per carry with his longest run of the season being 21 yards, that shows just how consistently effective he's been. So that was one other note I wanted to add on the offense. But, and, yeah, the Florida secondary has been at strength so far, but at the same time they've played kind of three running teams who wanted to attack them on the ground, and they haven't had a test nearly like what they'll, they'll face in the Tennessee passing game. And, you know, I think Tennessee's rushing attack – trying to figure out exactly you know how I'd describe it. It's had some weaknesses this year, and I still think there's opportunity there, e- even though you know I kind of saying it's on the reverse. You can, well, Florida's defensive backs haven't played a passing attack like Tennessee. They may struggle. And the, the reverse of that would be, well, they haven't, you know, Tennessee's rushing attack may not be as good as the teams they've played, so they may be better. But Kentucky's rushing attack's been pretty bad uh, for a lot of this year. I mean, they averaged like three yards a carry against Youngtown State, an FCS team, last week. Uh, so you, while Utah's a really good running team, I don't think that this Kentucky team or, or this South Florida team is any better at really running the football than Tennessee is. So I still think there's opportunities there uh, for Tennessee in the run game, and it'll be certainly be really interesting to see how Florida's secondary can hold up. Obviously, if Tennessee doesn't have Cedric Tillman, that would be make life a lot easier on, yeah. on the Gators. But uh, I, I think there's really opportunities for Tennessee, both in the run and in the pass game, uh, to, to make big plays against Florida. Yeah, I think you're right. I Just kind of piggybacking off of that real quick, I, I think there are chances for Tennessee to, to really be effective in the run game. And we know how important the run game is for just the overall balanced offense that Tennessee has. If that run game is able to be working then we, we've seen just countless times in the past how much more that's able to open up Tennessee's offensive playbook. So I, I think establishing the run against a team that the strength is not the run defense, the strength is not necessarily the, the front seven on defense, being able to establish that early in the game, I want to see if that's a big deal for Tennessee to be able to open up things in the second quarter, then after halftime in the third and the fourth. We've seen Tennessee be good in the second quarter this year, so I, I wonder how, you know, I, I'd like to see how Tennessee is able to maybe get that start cranked up just a couple minutes early into the first quarter as well, but really be able to use that run game to set up things in the later on in the game in the offense, I think that's an opportunity that's going to be open for them. Yeah, I think you're right too. And, you know, I think part of what I was getting at and probably didn't articulate very good with the run game too is I think you've seen there's quite a questions on Tennessee's side too where Tennessee's they're three games in a year, they've played two really bad teams, and they've played probably one of the best run defenses they're going to see this season. So I think there's still just a lot of questions about Mark, about how good this Tennessee run game can be. Uh, and then obviously Jabari Small being a little banged up is a question. Jalen Wright, I think, run the ball really well to this point in the season besides the two fumbles he had in the first two games. So that's really interesting. The one other thing I'd, I'd watch is, is this game where Tennessee wants to use, or use Hinton Hooker's legs yeah, a that's, lot. Yeah, which they did against, next. yeah, which they did against Pittsburgh. Uh, and certainly, I think they felt like they had to against Pittsburgh. And I think it'll be, one, interesting to see just how much Tennessee runs in general. Two, how much do they run it with Hooker early? Or is it one of those situations where they kind of try to feel out how much they can use the running backs, how effective the running backs can be? And obviously that's one of the biggest strengths of running with your quarterback is you get that extra blocker uh, in there. So I think that'll be really interesting to see where Tennessee's at from a game plan standpoint in there and then kind of how that adjusts as the game goes on. Yeah, and then with, I mean, Hooker's feet, just what is an intentional, what is a designed play versus what is just scrambling versus a breakdown. I think that's all going to be fascinating to see how that unfolds throughout the game. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we saw it. even last week where they ran speed option uh, a couple times on third downs, both went for touchdowns. 
Um, that's really an element that we haven't seen a ton. The only other time I can think of Tennessee running that is I think they ran one against Ole Miss last year, and Hooker kept it for a touchdown on a very similar like fourth and one down uh, in the red zone. So uh, that was a, an interesting little wrinkle that Josh Heupel, Alex Golish, and, and the staff threw in last week. It'll certainly be really interesting to watch on Saturday. Yeah, and Josh Heupel even talked about that on Monday. You know, said, "Hey, of course we've got we've got different like you said we've got different wrinkles, we've got different setups, we've got different formations ready for each week. We want to bring something new to the table, something that somebody has not necessarily seen before, uh, maybe from this Tennessee team. So that'll be coming up this Saturday, 3:30 p.m. inside of Neyland Stadium, number 20 Florida versus number 11 Tennessee. It's going to be a rowdy, rowdy day as always. Make sure you're following along with Rocky Top Insider throughout the day, throughout the week to get all of your Tennessee football coverage. All right, Ryan, let's do this. Let's go ahead and take a quick break right here, come back on the other side, and see what else we can get into. I know there's a little bit of scheduled talk we can get into, maybe some recruits who will be in town this weekend. Just a couple more wrap-up thoughts before we get out of here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. All right, welcome back into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert hanging out with you, talking about the Tennessee-Florida game. Now, obviously, there's a lot to get into between the lines when it comes to these two teams. We broke down, we broke a good bit of that down just a second ago, but there's also going to be a lot of activity going on with future prospects who may be on the Tennessee football team. We know that this is going to be a big recruiting weekend for the Tennessee Volunteers. Now, Ryan, there's been plenty of announcements throughout the week, but I, I think certainly one of the most... Uh, familiar names that that people know is five-star quarterback commit Nico Iamaliava. He will be in town for this Florida game, and I think that's really the the domino effect. Uh, when you bring in Nico and you bring in your five-star quarterback commit, obviously the, the top prize in the class, the crown jewel of the class, man, you are bringing him, him in to have those face-to-face conversations with those other players. Now, we know that this is going to be an insane environment that, that obviously you want recruits to see and you want kids to see, but I do think that having the extra benefit of having that five-star quarterback at the top of the class there inside of town, inside of the program, being able to face-to-face talk to people, I think that's going to be beneficial, and Tennessee certainly seems to be uh, they're going to be using that to their advantage this weekend. Yeah, certainly, and you know I think Davian Hobbs, uh, the yeah. North Carolina defensive lineman, high four-star, is probably the other big name or a big non-committed name in the 2023 class that, that looks like he's going to be there. But besides that, you know, it's a ton of 2024 names yeah, it that, is. that are, are making the trip. And I think, you know, one, uh, Boo Carter, the the receiver athlete down in Chattanooga, yep. who's one of the most electrifying playmakers in that class. And I think, you know, when you talk about Nico, I think having, obviously they're not in the same class and there isn't that same level of peer recruiting, but there's a good chance Nico would be the guy throwing Boo Carter the ball if he came to not, came to Tennessee. So I certainly think that's you know a big benefit for a guy like him. And, yep. and I think uh, just having the face of your class uh, there is really important for the 2023 guys. And I think a guy that Tennessee envisions being the face of its program in, in the future is you know really good for the younger guys too. So I think you're right. I think that's a big plus. Yeah, and then another uh, in-state prospect that they're able to bring in is going to be Caleb Beasley. That's a very talented player in the 2024 recruiting class. He is a cornerback in the top 200 just overall in the nation, but also the number three player ranked from the Volunteer State here in Tennessee. So that's another big one. Man, these in-state recruits, I, I know you know we're not really in the recruiting conversation side of things just in season right now, have, have kind of our focus shifted elsewhere to the actual team. But, man, these in-state recruits are, are big for Tennessee and I think are big for this conference and just for what Josh Heupel is trying to build here early on. I think the more of these high-rated 
uh, Tennessee guys that you can get is only going to be beneficial for the program. Yeah, and I think especially you look at Beasley that he's he's a Lipscomb Academy kid, and it's just so funny, you know, for me to say. I'm sure a lot of people around Nashville feel the same way. A little old David, you know, David Lipscomb Church of Christ School, and they got <laughs> probably the best football program in the state of Tennessee right now. Yeah. And, uh, Caleb Beasley's uh, from there. Obviously, Nate Spillman, who's coming in this year's class, is from there. Nate Spillman's little brother is the number one player in the state of Tennessee in the 2024 class. He goes to Lipscomb. I think you know 2025 rankings. That's their sophomores right now, so there's not a ton of domes. But I think Lipscomb has a defense alignment uh, that's in in that top 100 too. Point being, as long as Trent Dilfer is at Lipscomb, I think there's going to be a lot of really good players that come from that school. And we heard it. He talked it. You know, this was last fall. He talked at the Knoxville Quarterbacks Club and really raved about Tennessee's coaching staff and how they were doing recruiting their kids. And at that point, you know, we didn't have a ton of them that were going to Tennessee. You know, in the higher grades, I think Spillman might have been committed at that point, but obviously he was still just a junior at that time. Now you're kind of starting to see all those guys that Dilfer has brought in uh, and really up the talent at Lipscomb. There's guys that are starting to become guys that you recruit and I think Tennessee building good relationships with Dilfer building really good relationships with with Lipscomb's important and you know landing a guy like Caleb Beasley would be a really fruitful venture for the Vols in Nashville yeah you know we're talking about players who could potentially be on the Tennessee football team in the future well as of Tuesday night we at least know what Tennessee's schedule is going to look like for yeah. the future season of 2023. Ryan, we won't go through the whole thing here, but certainly marquee games that we know about, and now we know the order that they're going to be, and that certainly provides some interesting storylines already. I mean, even just less than a year away from that uh, from that season starting. Tennessee will open the season in Nashville against Virginia. There you go. A little bit of tie to the recruits that we were talking about a second ago. Tennessee will uh, will take on Florida in the third week of the season at Florida on September 16th. Then just two games later, an early matchup with South Carolina. After a very late yeah. matchup coming with South Carolina this year, I mean, there's really only going to be one offseason, but like Four games that four or five games that only separates these two yeah, matchups. So it, certainly, I, I found that one interesting. Another kind of early bye week for Tennessee in 2023. After an early bye week here this year in 2022, a very late bye week in Josh Heupel's first year in 2021. Then you have, boy, do you have an interesting, interesting three game stretch coming up in October that's after the say, bye that's, week? That's what stood out the most to me. Yeah, I mean, just like it. it in a way, it kind of does for this year as well, but you know that month of October is going to be big. Tennessee starts the month of October after the bye week by hosting the Texas A&M Aggies. That is going to be a massive, massive matchup. And already I can see here, hey, that extra week of preparation, there's few teams that you would want it more for, I think, than maybe Texas A&M, a team that you're not too familiar with, but they're going to be coming into your house. Got to provide a, a good a good matchup for that one. And then the next two games, you go to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama, and you follow that up with going to Lexington to play Kentucky. So hosting Texas A&M and then at Alabama and at Kentucky, all back-to-back-to-back. That is going to be a wild month of October before Halloween for Tennessee next year. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's kind of a three-game stretch, I think, certainly. Stands out, at least stands out to me. And, you know, I think the Texas A&M game is a really exciting one. You know, it'll be their first trip to, to Neyland Stadium. I don't know if that's the case ever. It'll at least be the first trip to Neyland Stadium since they joined the SEC. Tennessee, while we're talking about that being such a hard three-game stretch, they do get that A&M game coming right after a bye week, and that feels like one here sitting, you know, 13 months out that's going to be really gettable. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that really stands out to me. And then I think kind of some of the – when you look away from the premier non-conference game against Virginia, there's some interesting games. Uh, I mean, UTSA has been a really strong program. And, granted, Texas didn't have Quinn Ewers on Saturday, but, boy, did the Longhorns – I mean, they had to have a second-half comeback uh, yeah. to get past 
uh, the Roadrunners, who have been, again, the last two years really good. I don't know what that roster looks like. Maybe they lose a ton of guys after this year. Maybe they're not nearly what they have been. But uh, that stands out. And then I knew that this game was coming up on the schedule. I didn't realize that it was in 2023, but the UConn game is already just a, a funny one to look at, uh, to see UConn facing off Tennessee <laughs> in, in football. And uh, certainly that name is probably bigger than UTSA, but I would expect UTSA to be the hardest game. And if UTSA is anything like they've been this year and last year and next year, that game could easily just be just as hard as the Virginia game, too, as Tony Elliott kind of looks to get things moving in the right direction there. Yep, so you... Uh... Yeah, so certainly some very interesting games throughout the schedule. Again, you're starting in Nashville against Virginia. You move on to that just crazy October that that is going to be uh, quite stressful. Uh, I would have to imagine for yeah. Tennessee fans just in the in the middle of those 21 days. Texas A&M comes to town, and then you go at Alabama, at Kentucky. Then, like you said, UConn get the non-conference matchup there. Then Tennessee goes at Missouri in Week 11. Georgia comes to town in Week 12. Then Vanderbilt comes to town as well to close off the season in Week 13. So that's at least a little bit of a look into the Tennessee football 2023 schedule. Boy, we'll have plenty of time to break this thing yes, down over the uh, over the next 11 months or so. But that is an early look, of course. That is over at RockyTopInsider.com if you would like to go check that out for yourself, as well as the Tennessee football schedule release video, which was uh, pretty good as expected. So you can find all of that over at the website. Ryan, that pretty much wraps things up, though. But we got to end it like we normally do with a little bit of shout-outs. Go first. Yeah, okay, so I just shouted out Blade Tidwell last week for a strong start in minor league playoffs. He had another one last night, very similar, I think five scoreless innings. So uh, we'll rerun that one. And, uh, okay. And I do the, the VFLs and the NFL recap every week. And Shy Tuttle had a stat line that was unbelievable for a defensive tackle. He had a half a sack, nine tackles. Nine tackles, a defense a tackle, and then one quarterback hit, one pass deflection as well, and 41 snaps. 41 defensive wow. snaps, and he made nine tackles. Don't see that much for a defensive tackle. Shout out Shy Tuttle, the former Vol down in New Orleans. Yeah. One of the many former Vols down in New Orleans. Yeah, there's they got a whole bunch of them, don't yeah, they? Four They're of them. Stockpiled. Four of them. Alante, yeah. Alvin, Shy. Marquez Callaway, yeah. And Callaway. No, I will right. say, tough Marquez Callaway at his. His role in that offense has gone down a lot with Michael Thomas healthy, and then obviously they picked Chris Olave with the first-round pick. So he hasn't been seeing nearly uh, as many opportunities as he did last year. But, you know, injuries happen, things happen. Maybe uh, maybe Marquez will get some opportunities here to back half of the season. Yeah. I say that like we're not in week two of the NFL season. There's still <laughs> literally four months to go until the playoffs. Yeah. So plenty of opportunities, plenty of time left for uh, Marquez to get things going this season. There are a whole bunch of NFL uh, Vols, aren't there, uh, these days? Yeah, pretty yeah. good amount. Yeah, pretty. I think pretty good amount overall. There's just not as much star power. You know, there's just not a ton of star power right now. You have Alvin, and even he hasn't been playing as well the last couple of years uh, since Drew Brees left. You know, Cordero has kind of been a guy pop up and who has kind of become a little bit of a, a household name in the NFL. Yes, he has. So it's it's lacking star power a little bit, and we are starting to kind of see some guys trickle out too. You know, Malik Jackson. I don't think signed a deal before the season. Uh, Jawan James for the second straight year tore his Achilles early in the season. It's hard to imagine at his age he's going to be able to come back from a second torn Achilles. But uh, I think we're starting to see more guys kind of get infiltrated in maybe than there were you know five years ago too. You know, speaking of Cordero and you know, I'll give my shout out to this. Did you see the the pregame video that the Falcons posted uh, before their game with the Saints? Uh, of it like was what? like a five minute 
it was like a five-minute mic'd-up Cordero Patterson video. Was it the one where he was like giving something to the fans, to some fans at the end of it? Like yeah. Like some little kids? Yeah, I, I'm sure that was in it. I, I think, you know, Cordero, from from everything that I've seen over the last couple of years, he's one of my favorite players to watch because I, I think he's just probably a really great dude. He, he's one of these guys who, no matter what team he has, whether it was the, the Bears or, or somebody else along the way, he's one of these guys that loves – these pregame interactions with fans, and you always see him throwing footballs in the crowd or playing catch with one of the kids on the sideline. I think he's fantastic. But a cool part of that video was it, right after the Pittsburgh game, it was that Sunday, and you had Marquez Calloway and Cordero Patterson just kind of walking up to each other. And hey, did you see that game? Oh yeah, we got a huge win. Okay. You know, yeah, so it was, a, cool. it was a great little moment between those two, and that made the uh, that made the Falcons' big video. So he he's just a fantastic guy, and then it moves on to video of. Um, of him in the game, and it's fun to watch these NFL players talk yeah. smack after plays and stuff like that. So I think that Cordero Patterson is a tremendous representative of the university. I, he's obviously a longtime NFL player who who is a veteran, who's experienced at this point. I think he's very well-spoken. I think he's very good with the fans, obviously, with these pregame videos and stuff. I would like to see him uh, honored or, or acknowledged more around Tennessee. Not that they don't, or, you know, not that that's, you know— anything they're shying away from. But I, I think that's a great guy to have around campus and do a little bit more of, and maybe that comes after his playing career. But I, I think he, he really is a great name for, for Tennessee as a uh, former player. Yeah, and it's kind of an interesting dynamic. He probably spent all of six months in Knoxville <laughs> I know, coming in from junior college and then leaving right you know, yeah. right after he played his last game. So it's kind of a little different. You know, He didn't spend a ton of time at Tennessee, but was dynamic when he was there and certainly has been dynamic in the pros. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, any more shout-outs? That's all I got. All right, well, that's all I got too, which means we are going to wrap this thing up and get out of here. Hey, thank you for listening along, and thank you for listening to all the season so far. We've had a lot of stuff. We have podcasts after each game. We have these podcasts here in the middle of the week. We have video recaps after each game. So if you're, if you're listening, if you're following along, if you're providing great feedback, hey, thank you so much for doing that. As always, you can find us on any social media platform you're already on. That would be at Rocky Top Insider on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Of course, you can go and follow Ryan over at Twitter, at rshump00. If you'd like to follow along with me, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. But otherwise, man, we are getting ready for this Saturday's game, a top 25 showdown between Tennessee and Florida inside of Neyland Stadium. We will be there. We'll be covering the whole thing. Make sure you're following along. Otherwise, hey, thanks for listening. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you this weekend.